Chapter 23 of The Life of Philip Melanchthon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Philip Melanchthon by Carl Friedrich Lederhose. Translated by Gottlob Friedrich Kroto, 1826. To 1907. Worms and Ratisbon again. When the just-mentioned Baumgartner attended the Diet of Speyer in 1544 as the deputy from Nuremberg, the emperor demanded the assistance of the states of the empire against the Turks, who were giving his brother Ferdinand much trouble in Hungary. The Protestants took advantage of this opportunity, and before all demanded a fixed peace and equal rights with the Catholics. The emperor made many promises and appointed a new diet to be held at Worms. He would have a plan of reformation prepared by learned and peaceable men, and the Protestants should also present their plans. In the meantime there should be a general peace, and no party persecute the other because of religion. Lawsuits and prescriptions on account of religion should be abolished. These were pleasing prospects for the Protestants, but did not last very long, for the emperor now made peace with the king of France, and did not find any difficulty in using force of arms in Germany, as he had long ago intended. The Pope also summoned a general council of the church to meet in Trent in the spring of 1545, so that it was easy to see that the affairs of the church would be disposed of there, and not at the Diet. Melanchthon says in a letter, written January 11, 1545, to Duke Albert of Prussia, The hope was entertained that the emperor would call a national synod, or would cause religion to be further discussed, but the pope could not bear this. On this account the council has been summoned for the 8th of April, Yesterday I received a letter from Worms, showing the violent feelings of the emperor. However, the elector caused a writing to be prepared for the diet called The Reformation of Wittenberg, composed by Melanchthon. The theologians of Wittenberg sent this work to the elector, together with a letter in which they say, We have with due submission placed together our humble opinion, and have shown by what we intend to abide to the last. The work itself was divided into five parts, treating of the pure doctrine, the true use of the sacraments, of the ministry, of the maintenance of proper discipline, of the support of needful studies in schools, and also adds one article concerning bodily protection and support. It was a mild and simple confession of the truth. At the same time, they also delivered an opinion in regard to one of Busser's works which had been sent to them for this purpose by the elector. Busser had proposed that at the Diet the evangelical states should unite in a complaint against the Pope, and refuse to acknowledge that he is the regular ecclesiastical power, and therefore they should labor to bring about a general reformation. But as it was generally said that the Emperor and the King of France intended to bring about the general council, those at Wittenberg had good reason for declaring that the emperor would reject such proposals on the part of the states. They should only wait until the meeting of the council, for it would propose articles which would enable well-meaning men to see the folly of the pope and bishops. They did not, therefore, agree with the opinion of Strasbourg, 
and the elector was perfectly satisfied with their judgment. For he said, If the states on our side should accuse the Pope and his adherents before the emperor, they would by this acknowledge his majesty to be a judge in this matter. The result would be bad, for the emperor was greatly influenced by the Spanish bishops and priests, and we have not been able to permit or approve of men being judges of the word of God. He also thought it would be best simply to abide by the Augsburg Confession, for in it nothing is withheld from the Pope and his party, and there is no complaint made. But although he considered the work of his theologians too mild, the Chancellor defended it in a lengthy report of the 20th of January, in which he proves that it agrees fully with the Augsburg Confession and Apology, which have, by the grace of God, accomplished much good. God willing, this Reformation will do the same, and will serve to destroy and to disgrace the venomous priests before the world and his imperial majesty also. And your grace will observe that Martin and the rest agree fully with him in this. To the wish expressed by the elector that Luther should write something against the Pope, the prudent chancellor replied, May it please your electoral grace to spare Martin until we see that the papal council still carries on this villainy. Then it will be necessary for him to use the axe valiantly for which he has been gifted by God's grace with a more valiant spirit than other men. This axe Luther not long after wielded with destructive force in his publication called The Papacy at Rome, Founded by the Devil. The Landgrave of Hesse did not find much to object to in the Wittenberg Reformation. But at the Diet of Worms, which began at the end of March, it was not brought into notice at all, the Protestants themselves not insisting upon its delivery. The Emperor's great object at the Diet of Worms was to induce the Protestants to send delegates to the Council of Trent, which was to be actually convened during the same year. This, however, they refused to do in the most decided manner. He then appointed another diet to be held in Ratisbonne, January 6, 1546, at which a religious discussion should take place. They saw very plainly that the emperor contemplated violent measures, and therefore the Protestants met at the end of the year 1545 in order to renew the League of Smalcald. The theologians of Wittenberg also advised this league and said, We pray that Almighty God may incline the princes and rulers to a cordial, lasting, and inseparable union. But this union was the very thing that was wanting. They resolved to accept the religious discussion at Ratisbonne, but to protest against the Council of Trent, which began at last on the 7th of January, 1546. Melanchthon drew up a memorial to this effect. As the Protestants had declared that they would send representatives to the discussion at Ratisbonne, it was now necessary to elect these delegates. We may suppose that the court of the elector had fixed upon Melanchthon, who had given such repeated evidences of his capability. But Luther appealed to the elector with the words, As it will be a useless and ineffectual counsel, of which we can hope nothing, Philip, who is indeed very ill, should be spared. In order to prevent Melanchthon's journey to Ratisbonne, he even went to Bruck and explained the state of things to him. Of Melanchthon, he said, he is a faithful man who fears or shuns no one, and besides this, he is weak and sick. He had no little difficulty in getting him home alive from Mansfeld, 
for he would not eat or drink. If we should lose this man from the university, it is likely that half the university would leave on his account. We would not advise, but most faithfully dissuade, then, from sending him. They should send Dr. Zolk and Dr. Mayor, who was at least more learned than the emperor's ass. Krusiger also begged that he should be excused from the discussion and journey. However, if I knew, said the chancellor in his report, that Melanchthon would not be excused from the disagreeable affairs at Mansfeld, I would rather advise and urge that he should be sent to Ratisbon. And Philip himself said that he would rather do the last than the first. The elector yielded, but first summoned Melanchthon to Torgau in order to consult with him about the discussion at Ratisbon. He here, on the 11th of January, published an opinion in which he said that it is not known whether the emperor will again present one of Groper's books, or whether the Augsburg Confession would be discussed article upon article. The emperor was accompanied by a Spanish ecclesiastic called Malvenda. Melanchthon thought that he would not fail to oppose the article on justification. If they desired to destroy the whole discussion, it would be most useful to begin with this article, which is now known and highly esteemed throughout Germany and among all the godly. This would soon bring matters to a close, and the Protestants could then publish a protest that the opposite party would not be convinced, and that it would evidently be entirely useless to carry on further negotiations. The two persons pointed out by Luther, George Mayor and Laurentius Zolk, were now chosen to attend the religious discussion at Ratisbon. It is said that when Mayor once more visited Luther before his departure, he found upon the door of Luther's study the following words in Latin, Our professors must be examined concerning the Lord's Supper. Mayor asked him, Venerable Father, what is the meaning of these words? Luther replied, They mean just what you read, and as they say. And when you return home again, and I too, an examination must be held, to which you as well as others shall be called. But when Maior, in the most decided manner, declared his adherence to the true doctrine of the sacrament, Luther spoke at length of this matter, and exhorted him to confess the same in the church, in schools, and in private conversations, and by these means strengthen the brethren, lead his friends into the right way again, and oppose the wanton spirits. He who has the true confession cannot stand in one stable with heretics, nor give fair words to the devil and his knaves. A teacher who says nothing against errors is worse than an open fanatic. He either lies under one cover along with the enemies, or he is a doubter and weather vane who is merely waiting to see whether Christ or the devil will gain the victory. Or he is altogether in a state of uncertainty, and is not worthy to be called a disciple, much less teacher. Thus Luther spake, and Maior thanked him for it, how steadfastly Luther adhered to the truth, which he had recognized in regard to the important article of the sacrament, may be inferred from this, if it were not known long before. Yet we also know that he was at this time on the most friendly terms with Melanchthon, whom he twice took along with him to Eisleben. Philip was often found at his table, and there was nothing but friendship between them. But in a few days this friendship was to receive a wound which this world could not heal, I do not refer to any change of doctrine, but to Luther's death, which to Melanchthon's great sorrow occurred very unexpectedly 
at Eisleben. End of chapter 23